Craft Beer Radio presents Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. Private Tasting Salon Number 3, Porters and Stouts and Cheeses, Oh My! Featuring Brian Dunn, owner of Great Divide Brewing Company, and Brett Joyce, president of Rogue Ales. It's uh, my happy duty to introduce uh, these two uh, guys to my left and right, uh, who I've known for a lot of years. Uh, uh, I guess... uh, Brian, uh, here on the left, uh, ha- uh, founded uh, Great Divide Brewery in 1994 in Denver, Colorado. He has two beers we're going to try tonight with some really good cheeses. And uh, to my right is Brett Joyce. Uh, his father, Jack, uh, founded the Rogue Brewery in 1988. Um, he uh, grew up there but got out of there for a few years and worked uh, with Adidas, built up the golf shoe division. And then uh, his father called back and said, hey, uh, would you like to do some beer again? And he for the, about four and a half years now, he's been back. He's now president of Rogue uh, Brewing. And um, he's got uh, two beers we're going to try with some uh, really good cheeses again. So I'm going to turn it over to them. Uh, if you have any questions throughout the evening uh, if, and you can't find one of them, come and find me. I can, can answer it for you. And uh, here we go. I mean, I'll talk about the beers first while the cheeses are... Uh, our past out. First, I want to say that I think I speak for Brian and myself when I say we were a little embarrassed by the, the promotion of this event when they said, come meet the, the rock stars of the craft beer business. I can tell you, certainly, I'm far from a rock star. And I talked to Brian. He, he doesn't play an instrument either. So uh, we're not rock stars, but it was pretty cool to be called a rock star. I will admit to that. That was pretty, pretty cool. I never thought I'd be, uh, have that designation in my, in my life. So uh, while they're passing the cheese out, I'll talk about the, the first beer that I'm going to pair with a, with a great cheese, and it's called John John Juniper Ale. And this is a long story, and I'll try to make it as, as brief as possible. What we did is we had a beer we made for a long time called Juniper Pale Ale. So we took our, we made this for, for a, a dozen years now, and it's a, it's a pale ale. We infuse it with juniper berries. It has a really nice, fruity, floral flavor and aroma to it. And then uh, about three years ago, we began making gin. And we make a, a gin with 13 ingredients called Spruce Gin. And it's, uh, it's got coriander, lemon peel, grains of paradise. Uh, it's got spruce in it. Uh, we, Oregon has a lot of spruce trees, so we use spruce uh, in making this gin. And then we took the spruce gin and aged it in Oregon Pinot Noir barrels to make a pink spruce gin. So we have one product called spruce gin and a second one called a pink spruce gin that goes through a barrel aging process uh, that turns it a subtle pinkish hue. Okay? So then what we did, we have these extra barrels that the gin was in, so we take the juniper pale ale and stick it into the uh, pink spruce gin barrels, okay? And that's how we come to, to make this beer. And the reason it's called John John is that our, our brewmaster for 21 years is a gentleman named John Meyer, and our master distiller for the last five years is a gentleman named John Couchot. So we're not very creative at Rogue, so we just said, hey, we got this John, we got that John, we got two Johns, we'll call it John John. So it, it started out as, a, as just a working name, almost as a joke, and it, it sort of stuck, and people seemed to, to remember the name and uh, understand the story a little bit better by us putting these two, uh, two great artisans in the, in the bottle. And if you see the bottle uh, later up close, you can see it's a picture of the two Johns standing in front of some barrels, in front of our barrel rack holding a beer, so you kind of get the, the idea of both the, the barrels and the beer that makes this, uh, this beer as a collaboration between the two Johns. So that's the beer. Uh, I'm not a cheesemaker, so I'll do the best I can to describe this cheese to you. It's a, it's a triple creme cheese from a, a creamery called K. 
Cowgirl Creamery in Marin, uh, north of San Francisco. Uh, they make amazing cheeses. Uh, this cheese in particular is a, a triple cream. It's almost like a, a heavy liquid cream type flavor. Uh, it's got 40% fat content in the cheese, so it's very rich, very pungent. Um, it's interesting as you, as you see it on your, your plate, it'll be the one to your right at the top. Uh, and it's, if you smell it and then you taste it, Oh, they, they, they did it on purpose to me. Okay. They, they, didn't, they didn't mind upside down. Uh, so it, it's really got an interesting uh, sense in that it tastes a lot different than it smells. Um, it's, very, it's very pungent, very mushroomy, very herbal, flory, um, very grassy, very floral. Um, so I think it's a great – some when you do cheese and beer, you often you do either contrast or complement. I think that this beer and this cheese are a complement to one another. You get a lot of the – with the beer, you have the, the notes of the wood, the notes of the spruce, the notes of all the botanicals from the gin. The juniper is there. It's a very floral beer. So I, I view this pairing as being very complementary between the, the beer and the, and the cheese. And also, because the, because the cheese is so strong, um, the, the honey is a nice way. Uh, if, you, uh, if you don't like cheeses that are they're so pungent, the honey is a nice way to, to cut the cheese and add some sweetness to the, to the pairing. So uh, I'd suggest you just, uh, you know, there's no... No right answers here, no wrong answers here. If you, if you like it, awesome. Uh, you know, if you have other opinions, I'd like to hear them. But um, you know, take, take the, the cheese, put some honey on there if you want. Um, I would suggest when you, uh, you pair cheese and beer, if you can, take the cheese and kind of chew it up into a, a light paste in your mouth and then put the, the beer into your mouth as you have the, as you have the paste in your mouth. is a good, a good trick to really combine all the different essences uh, and flavors between both the beer and the uh, particular cheese. So... That's, that's really how I would uh, you know, recommend you guys do it. And I'd, I'd love to hear comments and, and feedback to the, to the pairing. I'm going to give it a shot myself if I can give this mic to, to Jay for a second. And also, I will note that the, the honey here is a, is a local Virginia clover honey from a local honey maker. So that's a local product, organic clover honey. And, yeah, and Cowgirl, a plug for them. They have a retail store in San Francisco and also one here in D.C., and I'm not, I'm not sure what the group is getting, but as I, as I get this, the, when the, the cheese first hits your tongue, it's really, really pungent, really strong. It, it hits you hard. But then if you, especially if you can cut it with the, the honey and put it on the bread and put the beer on top of it, it really, it mellows it out. And to me, it, it brings it all together. So what you, what you start with when you taste the cheese, to me, is you combine the beer. Uh, what you end up with is a lot different. If I uh, may comment, um, I think that the, the cheese has this pungent kind of fat, this big time, uh, big earthiness to it. And then the the juniper in the beer really comes through if you just taste the beer itself. But the cheese kind of cuts the juniper out of the beer uh, and brings, um, and then the beer kind of brings out a lot of the uh, sort of effervescent flavors from the cheese. You know, one of the, the interesting things about beer um, in pairing with cheese is, I think it works really, really well in a lot of cases better than wine because of the carbonation in beer. And carbonation really helps cut through kind of the most mouth coating, kind of greasy, fatty character of cheese, which is awesome. So it makes cheese great. But um, I really like the, the carbonation in beer, and it cuts through some of that. And it really, that's to me one of the best reasons why I think beer and cheese work so well together is, is the carbonation. Also, there's just a myriad of flavors um, in beer that don't exist in wine. 
There's, there can be roasty characters, floral characters from the hops. There's bitterness. There's caramel characters. Um, there's also so many different flavor profiles in beer. So um, we find I, I find that it's really easy to to bear to uh, pair cheese and beer because of the the multitude of flavors that are in there. You know, I don't get caught up in a lot of the the wine versus beer stuff, but. Uh, what happens with what Brian's talking about with the carbonation is the carbonation serves to, to cleanse your palate and, and clean your, your tongue so you can taste the flavors of the next bites. Where wine typically, it just layers on top. It doesn't cleanse like the, the carbonation does. And, uh, and what, what people do want to get in the battle with, with wine say is they say that uh, wine is uh, – let me get this right. Wine is complicated. Beer is complex. So that's always something you hear if uh, people are comparing beer and wine oftentimes. Okay, so are we ready to move to the second cheese, or should we talk about other stuff? What's the speed of people? Everybody, you ready to move on to the next one, or what? Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. So, yeah, it's that one. Um, so the next beer is Hercules Double IPA. It's a beer that we've had out for seven or eight years. Um, it's a 9.2% uh, IPA, so it's a double IPA. We don't quite use double the ingredients in there, but it comes pretty close. So a double IPA compared to an IPA, I think uh, a good analogy would be it's espresso compared to coffee. So made with the same ingredients, just much more concentrated flavors, and uh, it's got quite a bit more alcohol. So this beer is 9.2%. It's got quite a bit of hop, a lot of piney character. Um, but one thing that's really distinctive about this beer is it's got a malty background, backbone. So it's, there's a lot of malty, caramely sweetness in this beer. And that's what I picked out in this beer to pair with the cheese. So the next cheese that we're pairing is Rumano. And it's the hard one. It's the hard, crystalline, dark orange cheese. And uh, again, the, beer, or the cheese is Rumano. And it's spelled with two O's. And it's a Dutch cheese, so it's not the Italian cheese. But a lot of people confuse the two. So... It's a very low-fat, uh, four-year-old aged uh, Dutch cheese. So um, this cheese um, is really hard, and, and it's the way it's supposed to be. And we joke that at the brewery, we serve a lot of times with uh, beer and cheese pairings. We do monthly beer and cheese pairings at the brewery. Whoever cuts it up needs goggles. Um, but it's got a really interesting crystalline character to it. And the flavor that I pick up in this, this cheese more than anything is butterscotch. So butterscotch, caramel, toffee, and I think that works really, really well with the maltiness of the beer. Um, there's definitely a lot of citrus character in the hops, but um, to me, um, when, when I'm pairing this beer, this is a, two flavors that really complement each other. The last beer that we'll taste tonight is a beer I think that really, the, the flavors are totally different. They work quite well together, but I wouldn't say that they, they compare well. They contrast, and the, co- the combination is very good. But this is a good, uh, in my mind, combination where the two flavors match quite well. So, Any questions about the beer or the cheese? The taste caramely the, or butterscotchy, the, the cheese, the toffee? Yeah. Uh, it's in northern Netherlands. I don't know. It's um, it's different. It's not a Gouda cheese. So Gouda is a higher fat, um, and it's not aged very long. Uh, Rumano is quite a bit older, and it's a lower fat cheese. I've never been there. I don't know much about it, but I think it's it's one of my favorite cheeses to pair with uh, with beer.
Here's a trivia question. Does everybody know that Saver sold out in 10 minutes? Seriously, it did. It did. That's pretty cool. Okay, the, the next pairing is going to be with the rogue hazelnut brown nectar. And as you can probably tell from the description I gave to the first beer, we like to tell stories at Rogue. And most of our, our beers have a history and have a story, and we think that's, that's part of the fun of, of what we do as, as crap brewers. So the, the gentleman you'll see here, we, we sometimes put uh, living rogues or actual people as characters on our, our bottles. And this particular person is a gentleman named Chris Dudak, who's been a longtime friend of Rogue. He's a home brewer out of Eugene, Oregon. And he's good friends with our brewmaster, John. And, and so 15 years ago, he, he was talking to John and said, hey, I have this homebrew recipe, and it uses hazelnuts. And so he got John to think, and they just got talking over a beer. And so John decided to make a beer ultimately with, with hazelnuts, and that's when this beer that you guys are, are being poured right now, hazelnut brown nectar, was poured. So uh, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating beer because it's, it's got 13 ingredients in it, so it's got a, a rich combination of of multiple malts, multiple hops, and obviously it has hazelnuts in it, but what really comes through in the beer is the hazelnut. The, the hazelnut flavor uh, is very powerful. The essence of it is right there uh, at the tip of your tongue. And if I'm not sure where everyone is, is from, but uh, Oregon is the largest producer in the country of hazelnuts. So it's the, largest, it's the second largest producer in the world behind Turkey of hazelnuts. So we have a rich uh, agricultural base of hazelnuts, so it's, it's indigenous, it's local. And uh, so it's been a natural beer for us to, to make over the last 12, 13 years or so, which is when we uh, introduced it. With the cheese, uh, what you have here is a, a four-year-age cheddar from a, a creamery called Widmer. And it's not, it's not the same Widmer you're thinking of. It's just a coincidence that this particular creamery is called Widmer. So nothing to do with, uh, with the brewery Widmer, just, uh, just irony. But uh, it's a, to me, it's a, a classic, great aged cheddar. Uh, I always like to pair cheddars with beer just because they're, they're, they're relatively pure and simple and their, their richness really is a great contrast to a lot of different beers. Uh, these guys do a great job. They have 22 employees. They're at a place called Teresa, Wisconsin. They're distributed nationally. So this is a, this is a, a great national creamer that you can probably pick up at your local gourmet grocery market. And as you, as you pair the two, I view these two as a, as a contrast with the, the richness of the of the cheddar, you get some of the, the kind of the, the crunchiness, the lactic crunchiness in the cheese. And as you as you put it in your mouth and you, you make that paste and you put the the beer in, the the sweetness, the, the hazelnuts really have a have a sweetness to it that to me uh, contrasts beautifully with the the richness of the of the cheddar. So uh, I think it's a it's a great pairing. You get you get some of the maltiness, some of the roastiness from the all the malts in there, but. Whatever you do, the, the hazelnut's always, always omnipresent in the, in the tasting. So that's, uh, that's what I'd suggest you guys do is make that, make that paste again. I know it sounds weird, this making the paste thing, but uh, it works. So if you're, if you're scared to do it, you know, just, just give it a shot. It, it works, making that, uh, that gooey paste in your mouth and then throwing the beer in there. Okay, well, I think we'll break the sequence in the cheeses. And I'll talk a little bit about the brewery, and then we'll go into the, the fourth cheese once everybody's ready a little bit. So... Um, the way that um, our place started is um, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family where my parents were really into drinking and eating. So um, we, I grew up in a big family. and We ate meals every night together. My mom was a big-time cook, and my dad was way into drinking, either wine, beer, or spirits. So, but I grew up in a household where that was all really, really important. So 
I ended up going to school. I grew up in Vermont and um, went to school in Colorado. And I was the only one bringing good beer to parties. And I kind of noticed this trend that everybody's drinking bad beer, but I was always drinking good beer. I got a really cool job when I got out of school. I have a degree in soils. And I um, got a job developing farms in third world countries. And I traveled for five years. So I got the chance to travel to 30, 40 different countries and it became my hobby to study beer. <laughs> and um, every place I went, I became a student of whatever kind of beer was there. So I learned a lot about beer. Went back to Denver, got a graduate degree, did that for two years. And um, I was on a plane to California doing it for a job interview. And I decided that's not what I really wanted to do. And I decided right then I was writing a business plan to start a brewery. So I had been homebrewing for a couple of years. I just started homebrewing in the early 90s. And um, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. It's what I love to do. And I was going to make a run at it. So it took me about a year and a half to uh, put money together, find a building, rezone it, build it out, and get started. And this, the brewery started very, very small. I was the only full-time employee. And um, I would go in at 2 in the morning, I'd brew beer, be done at 9, go sell till 4 in the afternoon, go get ready for the next day. So a lot of 90-hour weeks. We eventually grew. Um, we now have about 25, 26 employees at the brewery. We're growing a lot. The beer, craft beer business is very, very healthy. Um, even in a pretty soft economy, we're very, very fortunate that there's a lot of interest in really, really good beer and good food. And uh, we're all benefiting from that, so it's been really good. Um, one thing I like to tell people is how we got funded, and I had no money when I started the brewery because I spent all my money on grad school. Um, I needed $250,000 to start the brewery, and I went out and met five people to plunk in money. So I put together about $200,000 from five people, and then I hit the wall. So that took about, it didn't take long, like six or eight weeks to do that. But I needed 250 and I couldn't do it for less, which was, in retrospect, not enough money because we ran out of money immediately. But 11 banks said no to the last $50,000 because I didn't own a house, had no professional brewing experience. It was just like a shot in the dark. So eventually I had a friend who said, go to the city of Denver. They lend money to businesses. And I went to the city of Denver, and we got a $50,000 loan from the city of Denver, which is really cool because the, one of the other things I want to point out is that we have gone to the city for probably eight to nine different loans, and they keep funding us, which is really cool. So we located in a pretty crummy part of town, and we create a lot of jobs. So those are two criteria that they need in order to lend money. But um, anyway, I let people know that because wherever you live, you probably live in a place where a city does lend money to businesses to help them get started. And um, if you're creating jobs and if you're paying them back, they'll probably keep coming back to you. So they like us because we pay them back and we're creating a lot of jobs. So anyway, that's how we got started after 15 or 11 banks said no, the city of Denver came through and helped out. So um, to me, that's really important that they did that. So I try to, yeah, 3%. Yep. 3% 10 year loans. And uh, they just, they're easy. They just, it just keeps coming. It's great. So anyway, that's a little bit how the brewery started. We're located in, in downtown Denver. Um, over the years, we've uh, won 16 medals at the Great American Beer Festival, four at the World Beer Cup. Um, we're still pretty small, but growing quite a bit. And uh, if you're in downtown Denver, look us up. So I think we're ready for the fourth cheese. That's a little story about Great Divide, and Brett will tell you more about Rose when I'm done. So. Um, the beer that we're going to pour last is Oak Age Yeti. And 
we have a beer called Yeti Imperial Stout. We have four versions of Yeti, and um, we came out with Yeti about seven years ago. It's a 9.5% Imperial Stout made with eight different malts and a boatload of hops from the Northwest. So it's a very, very hoppy Imperial Stout. Um, when you taste this beer, you're not going to perceive all the, the hops because this version of beer is, is aged on oak, it's aged on French and American oak chips. So um, w- this is not a barrel-aged beer. There's a differentiation between barrel-aging, which we do. Um, that's beer that goes into whiskey barrels or wine barrels or whatever. This is uh, oak-aged, so we put oak chips in the stainless tanks, and it picks up the flavor of wood without picking up the flavor of whatever was coming from the barrel, which is great if that's what you want in the beer. But when we first started oak-aging beers uh, six years or seven years ago, we, it was my belief that I just wanted wood in the beer, not other flavors. So, um, so oh, Yeti is a very, very assertive beer. It's very hoppy. It's got a very roasty character. And what the oak does to this beer is it kind of rounds it out a little bit. So it's got a little bit of a vanilla character, and um, it's much, much more subdued than the original Yeti version. So we call it the uh, sophisticated sibling of, of Yeti. Um, okay, the cheese that it's being paired with is Roaring Forty. So it's the blue cheese, and you've probably already eaten it. I don't know, but um, it's called Roaring Forties. It's from Australia, and there's uh, an island there called King Island, and it's at... Uh, Latitude 40, 40 latitude, it's, it's way south. But anyway, there's, there's a lot of storms that roll through this place, and it's, the cheese is called Roaring Forties, and it's, it's a reference to the storms that roll through this island. Um, it's, a, it's a blue cheese made with 100% cow's milk cheese, which makes it kind of a little bit more mellow than, for instance, Roquefort, which is it's a sheep's milk cheese. I think it's 100% sheep's milk, but I'm not sure. But um, this is 100% cow's milk. So it tends to be a little smoother. Um, I've heard descriptions that it's a little nutty. I don't really pick up a lot of nutty character in it, but um, it depends how old it is. But um, it's a pretty round, pretty smooth blue cheese. Um, I think this cheese is this blue cheese is probably more about the cheese and not so much about the moldy character that some other blue cheeses are. So it's a really cheesy blue cheese. So um, I think um, one of my favorite pairings is strong stouts with salty blue cheese. And that is not a, a, a good matching flavor. Those are two flavors that come on head-to-head, and I think it just, for whatever reason, works really, really well. So um, roasty, roasty beers and salty cheeses, to me, are, are a great pairing. So, What do you think of this pairing? Does it work? Does it work? Good. All right. That's all I have to say. Brett, you're up. Yeah, well, as you guys finish up on the, the final pairing, which I thought was, a, was an amazing pairing, I'll give you guys a little background on, on our, our brewery and our brand. We were founded, as, as Jay mentioned, in 1988 in a place called Ashland, Oregon. And we were, we were born in Ashland. But we were really raised in a place called Newport, Oregon, which is on the, on the central Oregon coast. We moved uh, opened a second brewery in, in Newport in 1989. So our Ashland location was a brew pub. It's really down by the California border in the very southern part of Oregon. Uh, it was very small, and we needed uh, room to expand. So we opened a, a second brew pub in Newport 1989. That's really where we, we claim as home is Newport, Oregon. We closed the Ashland Brew Pub in 1994. We had a, a huge New Year's Eve flood that flooded the hole. It was on, located on this creek, and this, this flood came through on December 31st, and there was water to the ceiling. So the, 
we just sort of decided that was bad karma, that Ashland was not the place for us, and uh, we ended up closing that location, and that's when Newport became the sole place where we made all the rogue beer. So uh, we've been in Newport now for, for 21 years. The, the John Meyer that I mentioned earlier on the John John has been our brewmaster since Brew One in Newport, so he's been with us, you know, not from the very beginning in Ashland, but from the, certainly from the Newport beginning. Uh, he's been there to either make or oversee every single batch for, for 21 years. So we, we put a huge value in, in having that continu- continuity, the quality standards that he has. He's just one of those, those talents, and we're, we're fortunate to, to have him. Uh, in terms of you know, how I came to, to be here, as, uh, as Jay mentioned, I grew up around the brewery. My, my father founded it in 1988, and so it was, a, it was a high school and college summer job. So I would go down to the brewery. I would drive a truck. I'd pull mash. I was the greatest keg cleaner in the world for about five summers, and I'm still mad. If you guys have been to breweries where they now have these new fancy machines where you push a button, it cleans like 40 kegs at a time. That is not how it was when I was doing it. It was like three systems and very manual. So uh, I still have a great resentment to these automated keg-cleaning machines. Uh, so I was around. I waited tables. I, I attended bar. I did all those things and for seven or eight summers in high school and college and then entered a totally different business in the uh, athletic business and had a, had a great time there, had a great uh, learning experience at uh, Adidas principally, and hopefully I learned a lot about, uh, not about brewing, but about branding, about building a brand, and, um, and that's hopefully served me, uh, served me well when, when the phone rang about five years ago and I had the chance to, to come back to Rogue. It was, a, it was a natural for me, only in that people ask me all the time, hey, did, was it planned this way? Did you, did you think about it? And the truth is, I, my dad and I never talked about it, but probably in the back of my head somewhere, I always thought, hey, it'd be pretty, a pretty neat opportunity to, to come back and, and work with my dad in the beer business. And I uh, was fortunate enough to, to get that phone call about five years ago um, and have been back to the, the brewery for about four and a half years. And I'm really glad I made the change. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really fun business. Uh, it's a lot more, and Brian knows, I haven't done it for so long, 16 years. Uh, you know, I, I sort of thought I'd come in there, and you know, in about two, three years, I'd know everything there there was to know about you know the beer business. And then I, you know, my dad could go, you know, lay on a beach somewhere. And uh, it's a lot more complex than that. And my my dad and I work side by side now in in, uh, in running the business. Uh, in terms of the how we're structured and what makes us us, uh, we've always done variety. And I'm not sure how many people are are intimately familiar with with Rogue, but for since day one, we thought that it was important that. We made a variety of different beers. We thought that the consumer wants variety. They don't want the same, same beer, the same thing for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So they should have that same opportunity in, in beer. So we've always made a, a broad range of products, which, you know, 20 years ago seemed crazy. You know, and now it's pretty uh, pedestrian to make a lot of beers. Variety is, uh, is amazing now in the craft beer business. So we uh, are proud to make a huge range of beers. We say we're like Baskin Robbins. We make 31 different flavors. And, uh, and we've always thought it was uh, important to put a lot of energy into our packaging. We think that, that uh, the beers can be beautiful, they can be great gifts, and to do creative, fun things with their packaging is, uh, is critical. Uh, along the way, we've opened up 10 restaurants. We never wanted to have 10 restaurants. We just kind of every couple, two or three years, there's somebody asks us to buy one and we buy one. So uh, it, it serves a greater good. But I'll tell you what, you guys, if you think about getting in the restaurant business, don't do it. Uh, we have 252 employees, and most of them are in the restaurants. And you know, it's 20% of our business and 99% of our problems. So uh, they, you know, they're great for sampling, they're great for exposure, they're great for building our business and our brand. Um, so we, you know, we endure the the agony that goes along with them and understand that they're they're our best tasting room, they're our best sampling. And if you're in San Francisco, we have one in San Francisco. 
young ladies in Portland. We have uh, we have three in Portland, one in Washington, and, uh, and a total of uh, of ten. So the last thing I'll say is what, what we're really about at Rogue is the name would imply, right? I think that our our brand name describes how we approach the business. It's uh, it's a revolution. We have this thing called the Rogue Nation, where it's you know if you're either you are a rogue or you aren't a rogue, and that's okay. So um, you know we think that it's it's fun to look at the world differently, to twist things, to do things unconventionally. We've never thought that we're going to get anywhere by doing what the beer business told us to do in a conventional manner. So we've always thought that you know if we just followed the Rogue principles, which says if somebody else zigs, we zags, we zag, then we figured we'd be we'd be fine and. 22 years later, we're, we're not broke. So, so yeah, if you guys have questions uh, for, for Brian or I, please uh, have at it. What are your favorite beers? Isn't that a tough question? I always say it's the one I'm drinking. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Saison's these days. I don't know. I just, uh, we were at the church key last night and uh, yeah. just whatever Saison they were. Ha- I don't know. I go through phases, so this, in a month it'll be something different. But I don't know. We, I, speaking for myself, I like almost any kind of beer. And if I go to a place, I'll try to find beers that I don't have, that, that I've never had before. Local beers, or um, I mean, Church Key has an amazing selection of international beers that I've never had either. So that's just. The education continues, I guess. What's your favorite beer? Cool. Were there any pairings that people thought didn't work tonight? You can say it. That's fine. Come on, Greg. Good. You know, sometimes that, that cheese really varies. When I taste it tonight, it's more assertive than probably two months ago was the last time I had it. So sometimes it's really creamy and kind of mild. I, what I, the, the piece that I had tonight was, I thought, fairly assertive. So it varies. It's really hard to know. Um, any other questions? Uh, the craft beer industry, if, if we have more time, how, how much, 15 minutes, is really very healthy. And um, I'll bring it up because I think that people care about it maybe you don't but um but the beer industry is really really interesting right now and there's a lot of um interesting trends and the major brewers are are not doing so well and imports are not doing so well and craft beer is about the only section or segment of the beer industry that's growing and um it's really really interesting in a fairly tough economy to find fairly expensive beers growing and getting into places where they haven't ever been before so um, it shows me that people have uh, they're learning more about beer and they're caring more about what they're putting their money into and they're caring more about what tastes good and we see that in other segments you know from coffee to ice cream to bread and, and also in beer so it's really interesting to see and um, I feel fortunate that I'm in such a such a fun business it's what I want to do and it's fun and uh, and it's also very healthy, so I'm yeah, excited about that. With, uh, with, with Brian on that, in fact, there was a, there's a local uh, CBS affiliate that's doing a Discovering Saver, and they, they grabbed me tonight, and they asked me, is this a trend or not? And it's clear to me this is not a trend. I mean, a trend is something that's, that could be a skyscraper that's built on quicksand, and this is not that. And what I mean by that is that it's too ingrained in the fabric of our culture to be a trend. I mean, there's 1,500-some-odd craft breweries across the country. So chances are, if you live in a town with 20,000 people or more, you have a craft brewery or 10 in your town. I think 90% of America lives within 15 or 20 miles of a craft brewery. 
10 miles. 10 miles of a craft brewery. So uh, America has access to, and it's proven they support local craft breweries. So when somebody asks me, is, is it a trend? Uh, it's not. It's here to stay. And that's part of the reason that we're having the, the growth and success, even in a, in a recession, even in a tough economy, uh, that we're having the success that Brian alluded to in his comments. Yeah, th- this is actually my, my brother. I, I asked him to ask this question. Uh, thank- Thanks, bro. No, no for, you, for, for you, I brought a, a hat. Uh, a rogue farm's hat for asking that great question. Yeah. No, the, uh, the grow your own, this is, this is one of these accidental things. We're, we're not very smart. And we just, we knew, we knew one thing. When there, about two and a half years ago, there was the, you guys may not know Brian. Brian knows. There was a global hop shortage, right? So uh, there was a shortage of supply and prices quadrupled overnight. So uh, we just knew one thing, which is we didn't want to deprive our brewmaster, John, uh, of the hops that he needs to brew his beer. So we literally got the, the yellow pages where it said hop growers and just cold called hop farmers in Oregon looking for somebody that would return our call. So we found a hop farmer that called us back. And we just wanted to have the chance to grow our own hops so we could control. It's, it's not to do with economic, you know, vertical integration, that type of thing. It just had to do with guaranteeing at some level our supply. Okay, so that's how it began about, uh, about two and a half years ago. And, you know, it turned into something a lot bigger than, you know, what we thought it would be. And we just found the right, the right farmer who's now we're, uh, we're growing 42 acres of, of hops in the Willamette Valley, uh, which is about, say, it's 30 or 35% of our, our supply. That's enough to kind of hedge against another crisis. And then we're, we're stupid enough to know that, hey, if we can grow hops, we can grow barley. So I had a, had a friend who had a friend who had a, a huge farm up in uh, kind of outside uh, Mount Hood, in the shadows of Mount Hood in Oregon. And I said, hey, can we try to grow barley out there? And he said, hey, well, we'll try. And all the, the local malting companies said, hey, you cannot grow malting barley in that area. It's called Ty Valley, Oregon. And so we said, hey, we'll give it a, a shot. And we, we did 200 acres uh, last year, and it came out beautiful. And we're doing another 200 acres this year. So uh, it's one of those things where, you know, growing your own was, you know, wasn't our original attempt. But as we played with it more, it gave us a lot of uh, you know, control over our own destiny commodity-wise. And then, the, you know, the... the the leverage you can get from, from growing our own, the unique things you can do to say uh, it's Oregon malt, it's Oregon hops. We're, we, you know, we're taking the risk. We take the economic risk to grow our own. So if the crop fails, we pay, right? So you know, there's, there's pain in being a farmer. It's not all, every year it's not a, a glorious crop. So we've, we've learned a lot by getting closer to the, the, the terroir, in our case, the, the dirt war of, uh, of, of the crops that we grow. So I don't know if that answers your question. Um, that's a good question. Um, we're hiring someone. She starts on Monday, and she used to work for him. So I called him up and said, "How'd she do?" So it's a really small community. So um, it's you know I think everybody really gets along well. Um, we're just everybody. The the people that are brewers typically are people that have a huge amount of passion for beer. It's what they want to do, and a lot of people started as home brewers, so um, didn't really have any professional experience. They just learned through their own passion. So um, we're all kind of in the same boat. So um, I think that our, we have a community of, of of people that are really, really friendly and helpful to each other. And um, we hosted an event in Denver. It was called the Master Brewers Association. It's a it's a national trade group of technical brewers. And in Colorado, there's an Anheuser-Busch plant and, the, and a Coors plant. 
And uh, so there are 125 brewers, brewing people at, the bre- at, at our place. A hundred of them were from Split Between Coors and Bud. And they're walking through our place and they're saying, if you ever want to put in a new mill, you call me and we'll help you set it up. And you want to change this kind of equipment, we'll show you how to run it. So, and even the big brewers are, are relatively helpful to, to craft brewers. So it's great. I think we're walking around the room. We're, we've known people for 10, 15 years. We're all friends. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's not important really. That's that's not why we have the the variety. I mean, the the Pac-Man is just John's preferred yeast, right? So, um, they're the Pac-Man yeast and the variety are, I would say, they're they're separate entities, right? They they exist for different reasons. The reason we use the the Pac-Man yeast, the Pac-Man yeast is a proprietary yeast we developed with a yeast manufacturer called Y Yeast, which is based in Oregon. And what it does is it, it eats the, uh, the simple sugars and leaves more of the complex sugars behind. So we just, we believe, and John firmly believes, that that makes, you know, for the style of beer that he's trying to make and we're trying to make, uh, delivers a, a great product. So it's not, you know, it's not an economic issue where if you use a singular, singular yeast, then you're more, more profitable because of propagation issues. That's, that's not uh, why we do it. I mean, if John wanted to use 10 yeast, he can use... 10 yeast. We, we really don't get in his way at all. I mean, we have zero control over what he does. I mean, he, he basically makes it, and then we say, hey, what did it cost? You know, what did you use? We add it up and figure it's our job to, to sell it and to market it. So we, we, he's an artist, and I'm not going to tell him how to, how to paint. Any questions? Is anybody here a Rogue Nation member? All right, this is about it. Okay, I only brought this hat, so you get the other hat, boss. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I brought a couple of uh, beers. Um, this coming weekend is our 16th anniversary, so we have a beer that comes out once a year. And uh, the beer that we have this year is a wood-aged double IPA. So we brought three, only two made it. So um, I'm gonna <laughs> one of our guys had some wet clothes when he got here, so... Um, so I guess I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm going to give these out, so I think it's going to be a trivia question. Okay. Um, does anybody care to answer for me what percent of the U.S. beer market is craft beer? By, by volume. Uh, you're a little, nope. 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 Oh, my God. No. Think about it a little bit. <laughs> There's been some close numbers, but you got it. So it's four percent. It's four percent by volume. It's eight. Interestingly, it's eight percent by dollars. So anyway, so here you go. I heard some threes and fives, but they were close. But um, I have one other one. If anybody cares to tell me the difference between um, barrel aging and oak aging, they'll get the next one. How about you? Thank you very much. There's a lot. Of, there's a, it's, a, it's an important distinction. And a lot of people are confused by it, so it's a it's a question that I wanted to bring up. So um, we do both, but if it says oak aged, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's barrel aged. So you're welcome. Thanks. Any other questions for Brett? Don't ask me.
Brookston Beer Bulletin. Been writing it for how many years, sir? Almost 20. I'm going back to my table. <laughs> how about you? Yeah, I have to relieve my helper. So, yeah, I'm going to the table, our table. Which table are you going to? Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, we, Brett and I brought some swag, like stickers, openers. Uh, Brett has a few other things. Yeah, I have some, I have some, uh, some glow-in-the-dark wristbands, and also I have some condoms. They, 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 they say Rogue Nation, rise up. And, and, and for, if you guys get too frisky tonight, these are not for commercial use, so I'm not held liable for any, any accidents that uh, occur if you want to use one of these yellow gifts. Yeah, yeah, my own. Safe answer. I can't. Yeah, you, you get you get hung. I would. Yeah. Well, uh, the brewery downstairs, I think, is a good example of a brewery that's coming really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a brewery. There's a lot of new breweries coming on. It's interesting. It's um, it seems like a fairly competitive business, um, but. There's, in Colorado, there's probably three, two or three that started last year, and probably three or four that are under construction now. So there's still a lot of new entrants coming in. I think there's a lot of room for growth. So. Uh, we welcome them if they came to us and asked us. We would help them, sure. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. And when, when I started 15, 16 years ago, people were helpful to me. So I was... Uh, no, not at all. And I, there's, there's so much growth happening. And I think the presence of craft beer in our society and in the beer world will become so much bigger. Say again. Um, I think a lot of people have missed the fact that that MBEV owns AB. I think a lot of people don't know. I think that people are just interested in buying local for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think there's the carbon footprint issue. I think people are interested in supporting small businesses. And there was a statistic that I heard in Colorado, which is um, money spent on a local business, on an in-state business, about 70% of that money stays in the state, 70 75%. But if you went to a chain, probably only 30 to 40% stays in the state where the majority of the money goes out of state to the headquarters outside. So I think people are interested in supporting other local businesses, and that's another reason that craft beer is growing, is just the, the interest in people to, to support local businesses. We also now have the big breweries coming out the foreign conglomerates. Our political power is crap. There's a trade trust that we've never had any political power. You'd be surprised. We're really confident 
Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio's 2010 coverage of Savor, an American craft beer and food experience. To learn more about Savor, please go to savorcraftbeer.com. To listen to more salons, interviews, and other content from Craft Beer Radio, please go to craftbeerradio.com. You can contact us on Twitter at, at craftbeerradio or via email at beer at craftbeerradio.com. <laughs>